This is the I Love Success Podcast. I'm Peter Jurukowski, and I have made a vow to myself to help as many people as possible to achieve their dreams. Let's get started. Hey guys, and welcome back to the I Love Success Podcast. I am super grateful to have you guys here today for another show with an amazing guest, an amazing human being, and I just love to meet so many incredible people and being able to share that story with you. Uh, I also want to hear from you. If you're listening to this podcast, if you're watching us, if you enjoy what we do, uh, please reach out to me and tell me about your dreams, about your goals. Uh, We're here to help. Uh, We want to be part of your journey. So you can reach me on Instagram at Peter Jumrukovsky or info at ilsuccess.com. That being said, let me welcome David Ferreira. He's an engineer, entrepreneur, inventor, and advisor with more than 25 years of experience in the medical device field, successfully developing products, founding companies, and managing them from concept through commercialization. And I mean, Dave is much more than that. I know he has a book coming out. He's, he's a father, you know, he's enjoying life and he has a great tan. So I'm excited to be here with you, Dave. So welcome to the I Love Success podcast. Thanks. I'm excited to be here too. Thanks for that wonderful introduction. So let, let's just talk a little bit about you. Can you just uh, share a little bit about you as a person? Like where did you grow up and, and where did you get this interest for being an engineer and an inventor. Yeah. So well, I, I live in Southern California now, but it was a long way to get here. Um, although I've been living here since 1999. I grew up in Massachusetts. Um, I'm 52. So I've got uh, more than half a century old. I've got lots of experience. Um, I grew up in a kind of a small town in central Massachusetts, just playing baseball and ice hockey. That's what we did during the winter. And uh, my dream was to become a professional baseball player. That clearly didn't happen. Um, but during all my, you know, education uh, and working around my father, who was an engineer, he was a uh, tool and die designer. And I would work at his shop during the summers and winters during uh, school breaks. And I saw what he did. And he was making things, putting things together with his hands and actually drawing them. When it came, when it came time to go to college, I, I chose engineering. He really encouraged me to do that. Um, but I also played baseball in college. So I, was, I, w- I was always a part of team sports. And it was my uh, senior, year, uh, senior year. It was the week of my sister's wedding when my father called me to say that my grandfather had a, an ischemic stroke. This was 1989. And in those days, there was really nothing you could do for an ischemic stroke. For a hemorrhagic stroke, if you had a brain aneurysm, if you survived the the brain hemorrhage, you could be treated by a neurosurgeon. They would put a clip across the aneurysm neck. But for an ischemic stroke, which is an occlusion of an artery that was preventing blood to get to the brain, if you didn't restore blood flow in hours, uh, you could become paralyzed and potentially that could turn into a brain hemorrhage. So that was happening to my, my grandfather the week of my sister's wedding. The neurologist that I spoke to asked me what I was studying. I think he was prepped by my father and said, hey, uh, if you're studying engineering, maybe a future for you could be in healthcare. Because right now there's no therapy for us to treat your grandfather. There's no way to remove that occlusion to restore blood flow. So I took that to heart. Uh, about a year later after graduation, my first 
job was in medical devices. I, I, I got a job at a company in Tempe, Arizona, making dialysis catheters. And I ran the extrusion line, I ran the molding machine, so I was able to make the catheters. Uh, I, I learned quite a bit about developing products and working with, with teams, which wasn't unlike playing on a baseball team. And within a year, I was recruited to head back to Massachusetts to work for a company that had just gone IPO. It was called Boston Scientific. This is 1992. Um, and I joined this bigger team, and, and they were making a different type of catheters. They were called angioplasty catheters. They had a balloon on them. And if you were having a heart attack, if you had one, you could put this balloon into the heart through an artery and actually inflate it and move, move the plaque against the wall and restore blood flow. So during my time there, I would meet this older Chinese uh, you know, principal scientist there and we would talk and I couldn't understand really much of what he said because he had a really thick accent, but he was brilliant. And he kept telling me, get into stroke. That is the future of this interventional market. And I remember, oh, that's how my grandfather passed away. He had a hemorrhagic, no, he had an ischemic stroke. And the physician said, well, there's, there's ways to treat hemorrhagic stroke, but for ischemic stroke, there's nothing. And, you know, and who would have known five years later, 1997, I was called by a recruiter to co-found a company and be the architect of the technology to actually design and develop an embolization coil to treat brain aneurysms. There was a physician co-founder and another businessman uh, who raised the money and put together the business plan, which I didn't know how to do any of those things at the time. So that was kind of my, my way into this market. And I never really had a vision of becoming an entrepreneur at the time. I was just kind of listening and kind of following where it was taking me. I mean, I was kind of guiding myself into healthcare and into the, you know, the medical device field, but it was just listening and talking to people and really understanding what wasn't available in the market and how, you know, people are always going to be sick and need therapies and treatments. That's what led me into this, this medical device field. And here I am later, you know, it's 2020 and I'm writing a book and I started several companies and met a lot of great people along the way. And I, want to continue to do this for the foreseeable future. That's awesome. And, and I want to talk a little bit about sports. I'm an athlete myself. And right. like, it, what, what did you learn from baseball? And like, how did that help you in your life? Oh, I learned how to lose. <laughs> right. And making mistakes. And what, but what do, you, what do you learn from losing, though? That's the, I think that's a great, great, you're onto something great here. Humility. And tomorrow's a new day. And understanding why you lost or why you made mistakes and, and, and trying to prevent that from happening again. Uh, and then losing with the team is, I think, uh, much easier than losing by yourself. If you're a golfer or a tennis player, um, which I love those sports, but, but when you have a team, sometimes you have a bad day, but you can have other players can kind of help you through it. Kind of like when you make a mistake, when you're on a project, you don't always have the right answer, but someone else there that has a different perspective or a different talent can kind of help you win the next time. So, you know, for instance, in baseball, there's nine players on a field plus the coach, right? Uh, the pitcher can't win a game all by himself. He needs the catcher. He needs someone to field the ball, throw at the first base. Business is no different than that, at least in the healthcare field. Um, you can have a CEO or a general manager that has the vision but the people on his team have to be able to design the device, make the device, get it approved through the FDA or CMARC, 
market the device to customers, sell it to customers. So, man, that's a handful of different people. And there's no one can do all of these things all at once. You can do maybe one or two things well, but you can't do five or six things really well. So playing sports enables you to realize that. You have, you have, you have catchers and pitchers and outfielders, um, and you'll never win all the games, right? So when you lose that game, you kind of go back and, okay, what did we do wrong? Did we not hit the ball? Did we not make enough uh, you know, outs? Did we make too many errors? You know, sports can teach you that losing or failing is part of success. Yeah, I mean, I love that. And, and one thing that I, I see a lot around me, there's so much potential. There's so many people that they have everything it takes to do what they really want. But it's that fear of, you know, going out and doing it. It's almost like when you're in a bar, like you're, I was never that guy who, who went to the girl right away. So I always thought we're standing there thinking, should I talk to her? Should I, should I not talk to her? And then this natural guy just came up and said something. And even if it didn't work out, he just went to the next one because he didn't have that fear of failing, right? And, and I think what I've learned as a martial artist, like when you compete, even though I would say you need a team, you need a sensei, you need a coach to succeed. Uh, and, and I've learned that as well. But once you're on that mat, if you if you get your ass kicked, you get your ass kicked, and yeah. and dealing with that, uh, especially when people are watching and people you care about, is is not always the easiest thing. But you build you build a muscle, you build a muscle to try again, you build like a muscle that. to come back. Uh, so why do you think like you kept going with things in your life, and can you just kind of go back to some of like maybe your biggest failures and and what you learned from that? Well, you know, in, in sports, right, we lose games. And, and, and sometimes you're just on a losing team. Uh, I was fortunate enough when I was young in Little League to be on all-star teams and, and championship teams, but I was also on losing teams. And we didn't have the right pitching. We didn't have, the, you know, the right hitters. Or kids didn't show up for games. So you kind of have to – understand and when you're young you don't really really understand that, that that analogy hey like my oldest son he was on losing teams his whole life yeah <laughs> and he's got the most humility and, and now he's a medical device sales rep so he knows when he goes to see a physician to make a pitch he knows you know eight out of ten times it's going to be no but he's, he's used to that loss um you know so you know they say when you win you you party when you lose you ponder and like that's you learn a lot of times you learn a lot lot more by actually losing right yes i agree and so the company in 1997 that i was a co-founder of uh two years in i got fired um i was the chief technology officer and the ceo and i didn't see eye to eye on certain things and i was the one who got bounced it wasn't him yeah. I ended up stewing and I won my lawsuit and he got bounced years, years later. But um, I didn't think I did anything wrong or incorrectly, but of course I did, right? I, I picked the wrong team and I, I didn't know what I didn't know. You know, I was 28, 29 years old. Eh, I thought I knew enough. I'm smart. I'm, I'm the only engineer here. I didn't know business. I didn't know really how to build a, a medical device team. I didn't know the regulatory pathway. I didn't know how to raise money. That enabled me to join a team here in Orange County, another new, new company. I wasn't a co-founder. I was about the ninth or 10th employee. But the other folks on the management team were, were all-stars. 
they had done this before. They were much older than me. This wasn't their first rodeo. They have done, you know, two, three, four successful companies. So for me to be a part of that team and be alongside, you know, real veterans, uh, I saw how this worked. And I was with that company until 2006, and they had an acquisition. A, a Japanese company acquired them. And then I, I realized, look, this is, how you, this is how you do business. It starts with the best people. It isn't about the technology. It isn't about the market. Those are important things, but it starts with the best people, the best team. So in 2007, I co-founded another company with two other veterans, a, a business guy and a physician. And then I was able to, to really form the engineering team and be, and be part of a cohesive go-to-market strategy team. So getting fired was the best thing that could have happened to me in business because that landed me with that team. I was able to learn from them and I made mistakes there too. And I got corrected quickly. So it, it gave me more humility. It made me more of a listener. So when I'm in meetings now, I let people listen. I mean, I, I listen and I, I let other people make mistakes. Let them learn from those. So I think also, you know, what, what I've learned when, when I was younger too, like especially the younger years as an athlete, like it's always someone else's fault. Right. right. And it's like, it's a referee. It's, it's my, it's my, it's the, the math. It's the like, but the older I got and the better success I, I got in my life, I realized it's always my fault. Like when I take responsibility right. in my life, you own it. no matter what I own it. Right. And I, and I think that that has helped me so much, especially in the last couple of years, just by owning everything, you know, mm. it, it's hard to be angry at someone says, yeah, that was my fault. I'm sorry. And I'm going to learn from this and I'm going to move on and I'm going to be better. Uh, I want to, I want to talk about uh, you at, in a team, like wh what are your strengths? What, what, what have you, why have you have such success and what would you recommend to others like building companies and, and being in, in a good team? What are the traits to kind of work on? I think in a, in a team, you have to trust other people to be able to, be accountable and do their job. If you don't trust your other teammates uh, on your team, then you're, you're, you're gonna worry. You're not gonna be focused on what you have to do. Um, and then when, hey, then when mistakes happen, you won't be prepared for that because it, it, mistakes are gonna happen. Um, I, I, also, I also delegate quite a bit. I mean, my role now, yeah, I'm an engineer, but I, I'm not designing and developing products anymore. I'm more business development, so I work with the physician, with the, the real innovator. I'm understanding what their problem is. Coming back to the team, I have an engineering team, a manufacturing group. I have a regulatory and quality group. I have a commercial group. So I come back to the team and say, hey, this is the problem. This is a proposed solution. Can we design it? Can we make it? Can we get it approved? Can we sell it? So I have, I have trust in everything that they're saying to me. So if, if you can't build the team with, trust and be able to delegate and give them a, a accountability, then it's, it's not going to be successful. Like if, if, if you're a, you know, if you're a martial artist and you don't have trust in your trainer, you don't have uh, trust in the person booking you uh, engagements or fights, you know, then you're going to be worrying about this constantly. And it's, it's such a relief to be able to give out the trust and focus on what you really do well, because, you know, you know, Zuckerberg and Musk, I mean, they have teams. We, we think they're like an army of one. They have teams. And they, they trust people to do their own job. And 
that's I think why they're successful is they they give out authority, they give out that by delegating, but they do it with an immense amount of trust. I mean, I, I love that. And that's something that I've been struggling with a lot, like trusting other people. And I know a, a lot of like people, they want to manage everything, micromanage, they want to be in control. Like, how do you let go of that control and like truly trust people? Hey, that, that's a muscle you have to develop, right? Yeah. Uh, it takes you time. You get disappointed, right? Like a lot of, like you trust people and you get disappointed, and you, but you still have to trust another human being. You have to realize that, you know, as I said earlier, failure is part of mistake, uh, part of success. So uh, everybody makes mistakes and you, if you want to build that team that you're going to trust, you have to let people make mistakes. Um, so then when they figure it out and they have that aha moment and they become successful, they have confidence. Yeah. But if you don't allow people to make mistakes and be, and be there to either witness it or help them or steer them through, then they're not going to be on your team much longer. Then they're going to go somewhere else and be someone else's best teammate. So you really got to allow, it's like I have young kids. I have a seven and nine year old and uh, it's just before the COVID-19 pandemic started, my seven year old, well, he, he turned seven during this. He was six. I, he just learned how to ride his, his, his bicycle, right? He, he, he was late. And, um, but he kept falling. I put knee pads on his knees. So when he made that mistake and fell, it didn't hurt so much. He could get back up and do it. Same thing. We just learned how to rollerblade this week. <laughs> Same thing. He's falling, but he's got to make those mistakes and do it for himself. And then they have all this confidence. The same thing with your business partners. You got to let them make mistakes. And then you can begin to trust people because eventually they're going to turn around. Some people don't, but it's very rare. You know, I would rather hire people that I, that I trust immensely or have, or have more, more talent. Yeah. You have someone that has the most talent, but you can't trust them with your money or with your girlfriend, yeah. then you don't want them on your team, right? You want to be able to trust somebody and have, you know, kind of average skills. Yeah. That person's going to learn and get it eventually. So yeah. the build trust, they have to make mistakes and have confidence in themselves. Yeah. And by the way, I love your watch. Is that a Panerai? It's a panorama. <laughs> yeah, those are nice. I love them. Um, so I agree with you. And I mean, I just remember I was on the national team of Sweden for karate for over 10 years. And I mean, we had good coaches and we had coaches that was, wasn't that good. And some of the coaches, they, we had to perform on every competition in order to be selected. Mm. And that created so much pressure that we did not perform because as an athlete you need to have those competition when you're in preseason. you're you're a little bit you know you're heavy because you're lifting heavy you're not peaking you can't be in world championship level all year around every year and 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 that is something i i think is so important and i've learned in my life when i work with other people like you can't perform at the peak every day, you need to have that time to kind of contemplate, learn, grow. Uh, so reboot. What, reboot, yeah. So, so what's, what's your take on that? Well, I, I mean, I like starting companies um, and, you know, and, and you have to enjoy the successes and, and kind of also take breaks when you have a setback. Uh, I, I, I travel quite a bit and I'm fortunate in my industry, 
a lot of our meetings are are in international settings. I've been this I've been to Sweden, you know, you know, dozens of times. I've been to Stockholm to Karolinska Hospital. Yeah. I've been all over France, uh, Nice, Paris. I've been all over Brazil, Argentina, and I've made friends in all these areas. So, you know, two three times a year, I take time off to either go reboot and see some friends if I'm kind of stuck on something, or after a, a, a you know an acquisition or a major product launch, I'll take time off because you have to go out there and learn and see other people and see how they experience life. Um, yeah. You know, it isn't always just a fight. I mean, uh, I'm at the age now where I have my team. I've been with the same team now since 2007, more or less. And, you know, we, we know each other. We're kind of like brothers and sisters, and we get on each other's nerves. So we take long, long weekends. Sometimes we do things together as a team. We'll go bowling or to the movies, or we'll have a, a happy hour and have a company naming contest, you know. So, but, yeah, you, you have to slow down and have fun. Um, and, and clearly, when you're making mistakes, you have to get through that and solve them. It, it's 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 time for serious, like when you're uh, training for a competition. But after that competition, after that win, you just got to reboot. And it may only be for a long weekend. It could be for two weeks. Yeah. You know? But you have to reboot. Yeah, I agree. And I'm I'm usually it's funny. Like one one of my best performances ever was when I went to Spain for the whole summer and just like partied and drank every day. And it's <laughs> so crazy. I was so relaxed. I was, I was so relaxed. Maybe my, my conditioning was not at the highest peak, but I was relaxed and I was in the moment. And I think uh, we, sometimes we need to let go like the attachment of the outcome and just enjoy the process, which, which is difficult. And I want to talk about being an inventor and also an entrepreneur. Like I, I'm, I've talked to a lot of inventors and sometimes they struggle with the business side of things. And then you, you meet a lot of business people and they struggle with the like cr creativity. Can you just talk like, how have you managed to like have them meet and work well together? Yeah. So in my field in medical devices, and I think this is, this has to be true for other types of businesses. The uh, problems are encountered by the user. And in my Field, the user is the physician. It's the person who's doing the procedure on the patient. And that initial innovation comes from the user. Now, maybe they can't engineer the solution, but they have an, they have an idea. Um, and, and as you know, you know, before I started that first company in 97, I worked for a bigger growth. It was a growth company. They were already public. It was a well-oiled machine. They were making acquisitions. I was inventing. I was creating new ways to process and make catheters. I was working on a product development team, but I wasn't an entrepreneur. I was more or less an intrapreneur. I was an internal entrepreneur. And I, I want people who work in big businesses to, to also understand that they're also creating, you know, but yeah, maybe they don't get the glory and their name on the patent or they don't have the exit at, after an acquisition, but they're entrepreneurs. And that's, it's a, it, it's a similar thing. Maybe you don't get the, the great feeling of success at the exit by having an acquisition, but you still have the product launch. So I, I transitioned from being the entrepreneur to the entrepreneur around 1997. Uh, I didn't have a success because I was fired from that job, but I was able to be part of the team in 2006 of entrepreneurs that, that, that brought a product to market and sold that company for a quarter billion dollars. That was a big acquisition. And so... Then I said, hey, okay, this is how you do it. Maybe I can do this again with a smaller team. And 
we started that company in 2007 and sold that company in 2012 to a big company here in Orange County. Then I, I'm going to do it again. So, you know, but, but then I was able to form my entrepreneurial team in 2007 with that company Mindframe. And the successful entrepreneurs that really bring products to market and get them acquired, uh, you know, they bring or, or a service to market that people can use and it, it helps people or it makes meaning. And then you have an exit. You know, that takes a team. And I think it's very few times that that single person can do that over and over and over again with a different team. I mean, the, the odds are against you. But if you can have the same team of entrepreneurs working together, you know how each other work, you know what each other's specialty is, then you can continue to do that cyclically. And that's what we're doing right now. Our next venture, I just left the company that acquired my last company at the end of May, and we're forming what we're calling a venture studio. So rather than doing one product at a, at a time every three to five years, we're forming five different companies, all in the same building more or less in the same space. So I, I, I work in a space which is called interventional radiology. So if you have to have a catheter-based procedure where they put a hole in your radial artery in your arm or in your femoral artery in your groin, and they need to restore blood or block blood or, or treat a disease, that's interventional radiology. And we're developing five, five different companies in that one area and funding them all at the same time. So that's like the next level of being an entrepreneur, kind of on uh, steroids. <laughs> Yeah, but I have the confidence to do this because I have a team with me, and we and we've already done it a couple of times. So let's up the game. Yeah, I like it. Uh, you seem like a man that loves challenges. Uh, I, I want to talk about like good times. Uh, so can you share like what has been the best moment in your life so far, and and how did it change you as a person? Oh boy, I should have cheated and asked you to ask me this before. <laughs> I don't I mean, I don't have one best moment. Uh, I mean, I've had such a full three decades in medical devices and they just keep getting better because I meet so many people around the world and I have friends all over the world. Uh, yeah. you know, I, I, can, I can say, uh, so I, I, I go to Paris every year for a meeting which is called LINK, the Live Interventional Neuroradiology course. And it happens to always be around the French Open, <laughs> always. Um, and three years ago, it happened to be around the same week that the finals of the French Open were. And my, my son had the summer off from college. And I flew him over to meet me in Paris at the end of the meeting. And I got tickets to see Rafael Nadal play in the French Open finals. And he beat Stan Wawrinka, who I think is a Swede, right? <laughs> no, 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 I think he's Austrian. Austrian, yeah. I think he's Austrian. But anyway... Me being involved in this marketplace for almost three decades, I get to enjoy these times to take a break and reboot right, right in the middle of me. I was able to enjoy that with my son, yeah. but the time was uh, 23, right? So it just allows me to, wow, and look back, see what this ability to be an entrepreneur and being in this neurovascular space has allowed me to do, enjoy this great moment with my son. So it wasn't so much like, oh, this was the best acquisition or, yeah. and we made the most money. It was, this was a great moment. And I know I'm going to have several more of those. Like I've been to the Super Bowl to see the Patriots beat the Atlanta Falcons. Uh, I mean, I was at that game. That was, that was a ridiculous comeback, but I'm able to travel and see things outside of my own space. 
and uh, yeah, it's exciting. I mean, I love traveling, and I know when I competed, I was traveling so much. And I mean, I want to, I want to see the whole world and yeah. explore. And there's something special when you meet other human beings, right, and connect with them yeah. on a deeper level. So, can we talk about goal settings? How do you work with goals? Do you write them down? What's your process? Absolutely. If you don't write it down, you don't see it, you can't visualize it, and you can't put a plan in place. And being an engineer, this is all we're, all we're taught is to check boxes. So we always start with a plan, and I have a plan in my, in, in my personal life. Um, I, have life you know, I have life coaches that I meet on an annual basis now. I used to meet them monthly, then quarterly, and now I see them annually. Um, so I, I do set down goals about, you know, where I want to be business-wise in, in five years and 10 years, where I want to be health-wise in five years and 10 years, where I want to be spirituality-wise in five years and 10 years. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, I, I have a, a list of goals that I, I update on a regular basis, but you have to write them down so you can see them. And I have them in my home office on my wall. And there's, you know, I, I, get really in, I really get intrigued by what they call blue zones. Yeah. about eight or nine years ago like my father he's been to a couple of those places <laughs> really well yeah and not because i want to live to be 105 okay but my dad wants <laughs> oh I, I need to make a lot of money so i can retire and have that kind of money until <laughs> i'm 105 right but yeah. I, I i looked at the qualities of being in a in a blue zone and you know like one of the big things is having your own community of your family you know, it's, it, it's family first yeah. and your in your community is a big extension of your family. There's great grandparents living with grandparents and parents and kids, you know, and that's a big stress reducer. Um, you know, not so much lifting weights, but you know, exercising, natural movements. Um, you know, having a diet, eating until you're full, not just engorging yourself. You know, you know, still enjoying a glass of wine every now and then. Uh, you know, having spirituality or being part of something that's it's higher than you. I mean, there's so many qualities of that, which I think is a big stress reducer for me. It's, uh, it opens me up to so many other opportunities and new things and also people. There is a blue zone here in, in Orange County. It's called Yerba Linda. Yeah. And it's actually comprised of a, of a group of Seventh-day Adventists. Now, maybe a big thing they have is they don't drink alcohol, they don't smoke, but they have community. They're always moving. Um, they're involved in their own foundation. So I think their average age for a woman is 91. Average age for a man is like 86. They're at least 10 years above any other average around the world. And there's also blue zones in Japan and South America. But that's something, too, that it's on my, on my goal list of certain things that I really want to aspire to do and happy to be part of my life. I love that. And, and, and my father is big into that. So I've learned a couple of those things too. Like you said, uh, in, in Okinawa, they call it Harahachibu, which is 80% full. Right. And then they have three generations, usually three generations at the dining table every night. You know, that's, it's, I'm so jealous. And, yeah. and, and also, you know, it's so interesting because if you look at, I think it's Sardinia, there's another blue zone and, they don't right. eat very well. Technically, they don't eat very healthy. They drink a lot of wine. They eat a lot of fat, but they have a community, right? And it's, yeah. it's so interesting to see that I'm here in, I'm in, in uh, Marina del Rey, and I see all these people with six packs running on the beach, you know, and it, 
it's amazing to see, but there's also a lot of stress that we that we carry right. with us in these bigger cities. And, and it's not always about the six pack in order to be happy and fulfilled and actually living a long life. Uh, what is happiness to you? What is success to you? And do they walk hand in hand? I'm, I'm happy having family around me, extended family. I'm successful when I have friends that call me and I can have someone to call and, 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 and go just visit. Also to work with, I work with my friends. Um, so I've gotten to a point now where I have, I have three kids. I've been divorced two times. <laughs> But I see all three of my, I see both of my spouses and my, and my girlfriend around the holidays. We actually kind of hang out together. So it's, you know, there's no ill will. We just, we just couldn't live together. Um, but, you know, I think happiness and fulfillment for, for me comes from, you know, being around friends and family and I'm able to do that. And a lot of people aren't able to. I mean, my sister and mother live, you know, you know back in Massachusetts. I wish they lived here then I could have that three generations at the, at the dinner table, right? Yeah. That for me is a big part of success. And I think that's why I'm, I'm striving towards that, that, that blue zone thought process. If I can create that, maybe when I'm, I'm 70, I do have a grandchild that's at the dinner table with me. Um, and I have friends around. I have a Super Bowl party every year now that I live in Orange County. Everyone comes, there's 60, 70 people. Wow. Everyone comes. So I, I think that for me as a measure of my success, it isn't just because I've done good things in business, but I feel like I'm being a good person and, and, and I'm, I'm bringing people together. Um, and it isn't just business. It's also, in, you, know, in, you know, in a community. I'm, I'm a part of the American Heart Association Foundation here in Orange County. I'm the uh, chair for the October Gala. Um, and that's a big part of my why, having my grandfather die of an ischemic stroke. Yeah. I, I wanna be a promoter of, of, of having a healthy heart and brain. Um, so if my career has enabled me to get to that level, to be on foundations and be a, be a chair and just have lots of uh, friends, then I think I'm doing the right thing. Yeah. Thank you for doing that, by the way. And I, I think it's like, I look in my life and I look what makes me the most happy. And a lot of times it's not what I've accomplished as an athlete or in business. It's more, how, how did I make someone else feel, you know? Uh, and that's something that I'm striving to. And I think it's sometimes it is a struggle if you're very goal oriented because you're always on a mission, so to speak, but you still have to take those times, say, Hey, stop, calm down and be with the people that actually mean something to you. Yeah. Cause that's what it's all about. Mm -hmm. uh, why we do what we do. Yeah. <laughs> and the ones who don't experience that, I, I, I know they're missing something, but they don't know what they're missing. Yeah. You know, I mean, you know, after us being around so many people and bringing joy, God, if I wasn't around people, I think I'd be depressed and sad. Yeah. Some people have never experienced that win or that, or that joy of being at a, a party of friends. Yeah. So they don't even know what they're missing. Right. I have one final question to you, Dave, and we're all about sharing journeys and tools. But at the end of the day, I want the people that are still here listening. Thank you, by the way. We appreciate you and uh, we love that you're here. What, is, what can they do uh, to get a little bit closer to their dreams, to their goals? What would be the first thing to do right after this show? I, I, I have a network that it's taken me time to build, and I built that network 
by either getting involved in, in, in a conference, in a foundation, uh, in my community. So if, if, if there's a goal or um, something you want to aspire to, then you have to go out there and, and start to build your own network. Because uh, as I said, it's all part of having the best team around you to make you successful if you want to be an entrepreneur. You can't do these things alone. So, you know, re research whatever it is, area that you want to work in and try to understand what the problems that are occurring in that area. And the only way to do that would be to get involved in those, those societies, conferences, and build a network. Because um, my, my network builds more and more each year and with every success that I've been able to be a part of. And um, I, I couldn't imagine being where I am without the actual network that I have. Yeah, I totally agree. Go fast, go alone, go far, go together. Uh, Dave, uh, thank you so much for your time. If people want to connect with you, learn more about you and what you do, what's the best place? So I have a website now with my new venture. It's uh, www.quantumfundoc.com. And that's the website for our venture studio. And my, and my email is on that website. Okay, awesome. Thank you so much, Dave. We appreciate your time. I want to thank everybody that was here today, listening, watching us, uh, talking about life, uh, about the journey of pursuing your dreams, goals. That's why we're here. My mission is to help at least 10 million people to go after their dreams. I can't do it myself. That's why I meet with cool people like Dave to share uh, open-heartedly. So thank you, guys. If you like what we do, Help us uh, reach more people by give us a review on iTunes, share this podcast with someone that needs to hear this message or go to ilovesuccess.co. I'll give you a couple of free chapters of my book and there's almost 200 uh, podcast episodes there now and uh, super grateful for that. So thanks again and see you next time.